Episode 106 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm Jason Collette, joined again by Eno Saris. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. I just stepped on a bee. My foot hurts. Damn. At least it wasn't a cactus. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yikes. No, I uh, I have a, a, an issue with bees. I got attacked by a swarm when I was a kid in Texas that my brother mowed over the nest. In Texas, they, they nest into the ground. And uh, he went over a nest and then calls me out right after football practice, and they were stuck in my jersey. I, I, I really freak out with bees. And I'm not even allergic to them. I just freak out because of that. Yeah. I. It's funny. I've been bitten so many times in my life that I actually became allergic. So I'm, I'm kind of watching this one a little bit janky right now because the last time I got bit, I actually broke out in hives. Um, but it's been a long time since. I was, I was one of those kids that just kept, you know – kept running into it so all right so if your throat closes up and you can't talk on the show we know why yeah call the cops <laughs> everybody yeah everybody knows why so we have a lot to talk about even though it's only been 48 hours since we uh, last chatted a lot has happened in the baseball world uh if you didn't hear by now the matt moore issue we talked about on tuesday they now say it's a partial tear to his ucl they have not decided if they're going to have surgery on it yet but we've all been down this road before it's over now you know, don't keep us coming back for more. This is this is the Matt Hardy situation all over again. With the Rays, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Moore's on the operating table tomorrow uh, with this situation. But I, he's done for me. He's done this year. He's done uh, done until July of 2015 because the Rays' timetable on these things is always extremely conservative. So just keep that in mind with that. But uh, the closer issues continue league-wide. Most notably in Oakland, Jim Johnson has already lost his job. Jim Johnson has faced 26 batters this season, has given up nine hits, six walks. Good news is no home runs, but 15 of the 26 batters he's faced have reached, I'm sorry, 16 because he hit one of them. So 16 of 26 have reached base, and Oakland finally pulled the plug on this and said enough's enough. Now, they haven't named a replacement so it could be all over the place. I saw you were uh, in a back and forth in Twitter today with Ken Arneson, correct? Yeah, I mean it was uh, I, it was a lot of people, and and um, you know one of the more interesting uh, things that keeps getting brought up, um, and I think we'll have a piece on this from Matt Murphy. He wrote a piece for the Hardball Times about how cheaper teams uh, can can sign uh, sort of like a John Axford type to keep their Cody Allen type cheap. Uh, because in, in arbitration, saves are expensive. Mm-hmm. So right now we have uh, a lot of things going in play. The one thing that I've seen, the, the only things I've seen associated with closer change in terms of, you know, sort of mathematically uh, associated with, or the numbers have sort of shown this, is uh, velocity, right. handedness, and uh, strikeouts. So handedness, managers prefer uh, righties two to one over, you know, the general the way the general population breaks down anyway. So there's already fewer lefties and then there's fewer lefty closers on top of that. Um, so, you know, I think that's just a matchups thing. Yes. Doolittle doesn't have, you know, big platoon splits to date, but you know, platoon splits are the kind of things that, uh, take some time sometimes to, 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 to show themselves. 
And also, uh, he doesn't really have a lot of strikeouts, and his velocity is down to about uh, 92 and a half to 93. Um, Ryan Cook is right-handed, has the velocity, and has the strikeouts, so he's like your prototypical closer candidate. He's coming off of injury. Yes. And he hasn't really found his release point. And he's also the cheapest guy in there, and if they give him saves now, you know, the next time he comes in front of an arbitration board, he'll be more expensive. Now... You know, I have to balance that with the fact that I think the A's are a win-now team. Bob Melvin has been talking about it all spring. Bob Melvin said that, um, you know, the gentry choice uh, trade was all about winning now. So there is a, a sort of sense of win-now about right. this team. And I could see them just going with what they think is the best option. But the, the cheapest option is Lou Gregerson. Uh, you know, the, in order to keep the team cheap, it's Lou Gregerson. And the sort of uh, "Quote unquote best option, the option that would have that the sort of past history would suggest is the guy is Ryan Cook. So it just happens they're not the same guy. So it's kind of hard to figure out. So two things. Let's use some round numbers here. Let's say you had ten dollar, you had a ten dollar free agent budget this weekend. Uh, split up that ten dollars between the Oakland options and the bullpen. Uh, well, I'm going to go with the fact that they're win now, and Cookie's got the velocity, so I'll go Cook." Uh, five, Gregerson, three, uh, Gregerson, four, Doolittle, one. Okay, I will, uh, I'll go with Gregerson, five, Doolittle, four, and Cook, one, just because of the, just coming off the injury. I don't know how you come off the injury and just go, okay, ninth inning's yours. But I mean, when you look well, they, through, they, they, go ahead. They did say it would be, they, just to say, they did say it would be a community, uh, a, a committee first, so. I'm sort of what I'm saying. I guess is I think he'll he'll sort of come out of that committee. But uh, it is a good point. You know, will they give him the high leverage opportunity right off the DL? It's true. Yeah, they. I mean, you look at their you look at their forty man roster. This is it. I mean, there's really no other option for them. What they have, what they have in house, is it. There's nobody on the forty man roster they could say, oh, let's try this guy. Let's try this guy. I mean, there. Are, you know, closers can come from anywhere, but I think it's going to come from what's in this major league bullpen. I'm glad you brought up the choice thing. I actually got to see him live. Uh, Saturday when they when the Rangers took on the Rays at Tropicana, that's an impressive set of tools. I don't know if people you know, you can't really see it online, but that guy gets out of the box from the right hand side and motors down first base. A lot of athleticism there has made good contact in that series. AL only guys, you know, if, he's, if he's out there, see if you can find a spot in your roster. Those are some good skills. Eventually, he's going to get a, uh, a spot to play a little bit more in Texas. But I was impressed with what I saw out of him. Detroit closer situation. Joe Nathan is complaining of a dead arm. Is working 80, 88 to 90. Uh, complained of the dead arm. Got put in last night. Predictably blew the save. Uh, only to see Kenley Jansen also blow the save in the same game. And Detroit did come, uh, finally come back and win that contest. With, with the situation, velocities. Is this just a matter of... You know, we're talking about 39-year-old guy. So velocity being down honestly isn't a surprise. If you looked at his numbers last year, you could see it happening a little bit last year. You go look at his velocity velocity trends on his on his player page, and it's been there. I mean, the concern was there, but you figured it would be uh, it would be acceptable because of just how good he is otherwise. But so far, that hasn't been the case. You watched him pitch; it hasn't looked good. It hasn't been Jim Johnson disaster. But in watching, I've seen two of Joe Nathan's outings, and it, it hasn't been comfortable to watch. What are your thoughts? You know, uh, it is, it's true the, the velocity is down again, and uh, that's not a good sign. 
the, there is this other uh, thing that Josh Kalk did this thing about injury uh, prediction in in season injury prediction. Uh, Josh Kalk did it on the on the Hardball Times, and then Jeff Zimmerman updated it last year. And basically, the three factors for trying to determine uh, in season injury are velocity loss, uh, zone percentage decline, and um, Velocity loss, zone percentage decline, and release point uh, inconsistency. So uh, what we have here is uh, definite velocity loss um, from Nathan. He's down to around 90 from 92. Um, his zone percentage is not down, so that's a good sign. Uh, but his release points are screwy. Um, so far, he's had a, a half an inch difference on his sinker and slider uh, release points in, and actually a big difference in his four seam too. So unless he's sort of moved on the rubber and I, I you know, I, I don't, I haven't heard about that. Then, um, then there's something screwy going on with his release points. So, you know, I mean, there's injury risk with every pitcher. He's, he should be in the Tommy John, um, what they call honeymoon period. He should be, he should have a fresh enough ligament uh-huh. to be okay. But, um, you know, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it might concern the of all those points. It's the release point that concerns me because with a veteran like this, you shouldn't see this inconsistent release point. You should see a nice tight cluster when looking at the FX data for this guy. They it shouldn't be all over the place. So that's my my biggest concern. If you go, I'm looking at his his velocity uh, velocity charts on his player page right now. Where he is right now is exactly where he was at this time last year. You look at his trends, and they were up, and then they started tiring down later in the season. But he's right at the exact same point he was in early 2013. It's below where he was in 2012, but I'm not as concerned much much velocity as I am about the release points. You should not have that kind of inconsistency with a 39-year-old who's been in the league for as long as, as Joe Nathan does. So that's a concern there. Because I know you probably got the question 50 times on Twitter today like I did. If Joe Nathan goes to the disabled list, where do you throw your money? Do you throw it at Al Al? Do you throw it at Joe Chamberlain, Ian Kroll? What do you do? You know, I just, Jabba just, you know, hasn't been the way he was when he first came up. And uh, I don't really see that same... um, you know, bite on the slider, actually, of all things. Uh, so, you know, I guess, I guess I would say Albuquerque. I mean, he has more velocity than um, than Jabba, who's around 93. Uh, but Albuquerque really has no idea where it's going. And that's, that's actually one reason that I kind of feel like, you know, maybe this is the situation where, um, you know, Joe Nathan stays in the role even if he struggles because the the bat, the rotation behind the, the the sort of bullpen behind him doesn't doesn't sort of produce a, a, an immediate guy. I mean, if this was a, a rebuilding team, um, I might say something about Evan Reed, um, who has like a 97 mile an hour fastball and a decent slider. But um, Evan I Reed's doubt- also got some legal issues right now. Really? Yes, he's under investigation for a sexual assault issue. Wow! Yeah, that kind of broke that that broke while you're in Jamaica. So he is uh, in the Josh Lukey club at the moment. So that may be a problem. Well, I mean, other than that, he's an unknown, and, and this is the Tigers right now. So I think uh, they'll stick with Nathan. We're in uh, a small enough sample right now where I'll say that you know maybe Nathan moved on the rubber or found something that he didn't like, 
and, and just uh, and, and let's give it a little bit more time. My concernometer on Joe Nathan is not in the seven, eight, nine, ten spot yet. Here's an option, and I heard this floated uh, earlier today. What about Drew Smiley? Drew Smiley has yet to start a game. He's been in re- he's been at relief two times so far. Most recently, last night in the in the aforementioned Dodger uh, Dodger Tiger game. And because of the schedule, there's a good chance he's going to get skipped again because they have another they have a day off today. They have another day off on the 14th, and they really don't need a fifth starter again until you know next weekend so maybe they buy joe nathan a week to get his arm what about using drew smiley in the bullpen since they're going to skip his starts as they have anyhow why not just give him multiple one inning outings here over the next week or so i mean if it's if it's a short-term solution but that's creating a hole in one place to to fill a hole in another so i mean i don't think that they uh really want robbie ray starting every fifth day right now so um I mean, they could, they could, if, if Nathan says, you know, oh, I just need a, you know, I just need a couple of days off, then I could see Smiley snapping a, snagging a, a save. He did show up in that three inning stint uh, in the bullpen, I think it was last night. Yes. But uh, in general, I think, you know, a three inning stint is more like a throw day than, um, than a, a one inning stint. So. Yeah, he's had uh, two, three, he's had two three inning throw days so far of 51 and 47 pitches. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more like you're still a starter, but we want to make sure you get your work or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's still going to be a, he's still going to be maybe he gets two inning relief jobs. I, I mean, he's talented, but for him to only pitch six innings so far and have his start skip twice now because of the schedule, it, it's it's just kind of odd. I'm trying to think outside the boxes. I, I agree, Albuquerque has plenty of velocity, but having seen that guy pitch, he doesn't know where his fastball is going. Uh, and right. this, that's been the, the problem with uh, Chamberlain. Same kind of thing. You just they don't have the fastball command necessary. They both have the velocity. They just don't have the fastball command, and that's really what it what it comes down to for that role. Uh, speaking of fastballs and velocity, uh, there's a bunch of it going on right now. And I put out, I tweeted out something earlier this morning, uh, a cooking with gas leaderboard to show, to show how many guys are throwing fastballs at least 95 miles an hour. Uh, or higher so far this year. That leaderboard is being dominated currently by Garrett Richards, who's thrown 148 fastballs of at least 95 or higher. Nate Eovaldi is second with 104. Jarrett Cozart, third, 85. Zach Wheeler, fourth, 65. And Jose Fernandez, uh, fifth at 64. Andrew Kashner, sixth at 56. Each one of those guys has two starts. Uh, And so some of those guys are on our list to talk about. We've got guys like Eovaldi, Richards, Marco Estrada, who's looked really good so far. Carlos Carrasco. Now, we're talking about guys. Each of them have varying velocities, but the values of their pitches are up, vary as well. I mean, Estrada's got the worst velocity in that entire group. But if you look back, you look back since uh, the last six weeks of the season and so far into this season, he's been the hardest pitcher to hit in baseball. He's got the lowest opponent's batting average. He's got the lowest... Uh, Babip, he's got the lowest ERA, and we're talking about you know eight nine starts, but it's still a pretty decent stretch. I bet you wouldn't have guessed that Marco Estrada is the guy leading everybody in those categories. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's uh, it's it's something that I'm struggling with, and I actually want to to do some research on it. Um, and, and because I, you know, you guys always hear me talk about how. Uh, how different pitch types do, and how the different whiff rates on different pitch types are. Um, but that's that. Those are all the off-speed stuff. What we know, what we know for sure, is that every mile per hour on the gun is worth 
a, a fifth of a run to a third of a run in run prevention. So per nine. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where it, it's, that's incontrovertible and that's, that's old school news. And we know that gas is worth something. And we know that every mile an hour over 91 is worth that much. So you've got a guy like Eovaldi, you've got a guy like Richards. They're great. But the problem is their secondary stuff is, uh, you know, average at best. So, I mean, I think that obviously there are a reason why guys like Estrada and Garrett Richards and Eovaldi are underrated or undervalued is because they have flaws. And it's just, it's kind of, it's really hard to, to, to make a decision between those two flaws. Do I take the big fastball with no other stuff or do I take the all the other stuff with no fastball? Exactly. I, mean, so I was asked, I was on the uh, the Fantasy Focus podcast earlier this morning, and they asked about these guys, you know, guys that have all the velocity, why are their strikeout rates low? And it's the flaws. I mean, you look at Eovaldi, it's a fastball-slider combination. Lacks the off-speed pitch, so he's really good against righties, not so good against lefties. Joe Kelly has no problems with velocity. In fact, he's on that top 10 leaderboard. I just didn't, I cut off before I got to this point. So he's on that top 10 leaderboard. But you know, sometimes it's also fastballs that lack movement. If you throw 97 straight, it's going to get hit, and you're not going to get some swings and misses on it. So it's one of these things where if guys have those splits, that's one of the ways where it can come through and it can have a problem for them. Yeah, uh, and but you know, the the is it hard? It, I mean, the one thing you can come back to is you can't teach velocity, right? I mean, right. you can't. Uh, so you know, one thing that you can fall back on is the fact that you can't teach uh, velocity. I mean, you can you can clean up mechanics. You can get a half mile per hour uh, from the course, maybe almost a mile an hour from the course of April to August. Um, so you can you can get you can shave around the sides. You can't you can't give you can't find a way to tell Marco Estrada to throw ninety six. So you know Marco Estrada with a ninety six mile an hour fastball is what we're all looking for. But um, in the meantime, you just have to sort of choose what you can do, and perhaps you can teach these guys a changeup or a cutter or a split finger or whatever. So. Um, one thing I like about, you know, let's say, let's start comparing some of these guys. Like, so Evaldi and Richards, these are both guys that have the big velocity. They're in pitchers parks. You know, I don't like the fact that Richards in the, in the AL, but, uh, at least he's in a pitchers park. What I do like about Richards is that he has two off speed pitches and yes, they're both breaking balls, but the curve and the slider together, um, could be more potent than just a slider because, the curve all curveballs have smaller platoon splits than sliders, and they're uh, they they function a little bit differently. That you can get you can get um, called strikes with them by by putting them in the strike zone and having batters lay off. There's curves are, are sort of a different beast. So you know, give me Richards with the three pitches, I think, over Evaldi with the two considering their velocity is about the same. How do you feel about those two? Uh, I'm the same way. I mean, Because when you look at, plus, we're, since we're talking about fantasy purposes, we need wins. And the Miami Marlins offense is going to be terribly inconsistent. Right now it's scoring runs. And uh, do I expect that continue with the talent they have in that roster? Absolutely not. You look at the Angels, even though Josh Hamilton is out for six to eight weeks because he joined the idiot club, sliding in the first base uh, head first and tore his thumb, I still think that offense is going to generate more runs on a more consistent basis than the Marlins. So in the in the fantasy realm, I want Richards, but in the real realm, I think I want Eovaldi. Ah, because I when I've watched a two pitch, Eovaldi's been more. He passes the eye test with a slightly higher grade than Richards does. Uh, yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, 
I, 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 I will, you know, I, I do wonder what, um, what will come of the year and, and, and really just like Estrada versus Vivaldi is, is, is so stark. Um, and, uh, I, I, I tend to think that between those guys, I would rather have Estrada just because he has a full arsenal and he has a, he's, he's had years of, of, of pitching experience. Is there, would you take Eovaldi or Richards over, over Estrada? No, no, not at all. I'd take Estrada over both of those guys. I love watching that guy pitch. I'm a sucker for guys with off-speed pitches. And uh, I, I own five shares of Estrada in the 10 leagues I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think that's, that's how I stand, too. But, you know, we could be wrong. And I, what I want to do is do... I want to do like a linear uh, linear regression on the different pitch types and their and their and their swinging strike rates, and see if we can basically weight how how important a fastball is and really nail that down. Because it seems to me if you have a, a a swinging strike rate at the end, not everybody's swinging strike rate is just a combination of all the swinging strike rates on each of their pitches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's some there's something that is more. I mean, obviously you get ahead with the fastball, so there's a command issue there too. So it's really I love pitching because it's so complicated, um, and there's so many different ways to look at it. So um, you know, I think uh, you know I'm just now starting to uh, hopefully uh, get towards some sort of theory that uses these pitch type uh, breakdowns because they're not very old. I mean, we're talking about two, three, four years worth of data when it comes to, you know, the pitch type splits. Um, and so we're just now trying to figure out how to use them correctly. And uh, I would say, you know, if you're looking for a sleeper, you know, velocity is good, but everyone's going to be looking at velocity. So, you know, everyone's going to find out about Jordano Ventura, but not a lot of people are thinking about Carlos Carrasco. So that, that's just, that's why I was, I sort of reached towards the the sliders and the change-ups and all that. They're also really fun to watch. I love watching <laughs> Uh, breaking pitches and, and change-ups. Yeah, I mean, on that, Trevor Bauer yesterday against San Diego looked great. One of the things that uh, Tommy Ransell pointed out on Twitter is Trevor Bauer's no longer moving around in the rubber. If you watched Trevor Bauer pitch last year, third base side against righties, first base side against lefties. Yesterday, exclusively from closer to the first base. He wasn't extreme over there. But he didn't shift around in the rubber. I watched starts him last year where there was a game against Tampa Bay. He walked the first four batters of the game. He could not command his fastball. And the lineup was right, left, right, left. And he just kept moving around the rubber. And I was like, yeah, he's a brilliant guy when he talks about his pitching. But sometimes you overthink it. And I think that was the case. But I loved what I saw yesterday from Trevor Bauer. Now, facing the Padres was an ideal matchup. You go back to look at the start of 2013 season the Padres are a terrible matchup against right-handed pitchers that feature fastballs and breaking balls. That's Trevor Bauer in a nutshell. And that's why Nate Eovaldi really sliced through that lineup until a late pinch hit home run by Amarista in that game. But when I looked at that matchup yesterday for a daily purpose, I was all over Trevor Bauer because of that matchup. And he backed it up for me, did it. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to stay up. I think they sent him right back down after the game because he was the extra person for a double header. But he should be back. And uh, I think it'll be... A, I think I'm hoping it'll be a better season. I still have him in the AL Tout Wars. He's on my bench. He was one of my dollar pitchers. And, you know, if I need to cut somebody now, it's probably not going to be him. I'm encouraged by what I saw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he, the nice thing about him is that he, he has a few pitches. So, he, you know, he, and he has velocity. So he really, 
he really is one of the better sleepers if you're looking for something. I mean, that's why I like Gossman. He's got velocity, command, and three pitches. That's why you could like Bauer. You know, Bauer hasn't had the command in the past, but they really revamped him this offseason, too. They really just broke down his mechanics and tried to get him to change. And, you know, in fairness to him, he, he sort of had a Tim Lincecum-esque kind of jump, uh, jump throw kind of thing mm-hmm. where he really – uh, tried to extend as far as possible. And, um, you know, if he had been Lincecum and had had dominated right from the start with that, you might have actually had prob- Lincecum-type problems later down the road. So in, in a way, it might have been better for him to struggle in the beginning and really break down those mechanics and try to get the best out of it. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest mechanics guru, but I, I can say that I do think that the kind of jump throw thing, the, the really extending out that far, I think it does affect your ability to command a little bit. I mean, the guys that have done that, Javi Guerra, Jordan Walden, John Walden yeah. these guys don't have good command. Well, David Robertson does it to a, uh, to a point. If you look at David Robertson when he gets his extension, he is well off the pitching rubber by the time he releases that baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's all about reputability, I guess, but... Um, yeah, and Robertson didn't have great command his whole career. True. So it might have taken him some time to get to the point now where he's super comfortable with it. Um, but um, yeah, I, I agree with extension. I love extension. Extension gets the ball closer to the batter, makes it harder for them uh, to make adjustments, make the velocity seem bigger. Uh, it you know gets the most out of your frame in terms of leverage. Uh, but I don't, I don't really love it when you're sort of leaving the ground or, or just really pushing it at the extreme. So. I think Bauer's, uh, you know, new approach might really work. And he's got slider, uh, curve, change. Uh, the change isn't great, but it might get him a lot of grounders. And uh, that's a good three-pitch combo. I will have to see how many split fingers he throws. But, um, you know, the potential for a five-pitch mix with 95-mile-an-hour fastball, I'm, I'm picking I, – I have some shares. I, I'm, I'm excited about him to an extent. In all my deeper leagues, I, I tried to pick him up. There we go. Let's move on to uh, well, let's, since I mentioned Josh Hamilton earlier, with him out six to eight weeks, the the solution seems to be rather transparent in that they called up JB Shuck, and you would think that it's going to be a platoon situation of JB Shuck and Colin Calgill because that's all they have. I mean, we've got Abanias at DH already, and that's it. You've got Trout, you have Calgill, you have Calhoun, you have Shuck and Abanias. That's their depth chart in the outfield. You do not want Raul Abanez in the outfield. You've already got the other two slotted, so it looks like it'll be a straight platoon with J.B. Shuck getting the, the strong side of the platoon, being the left-handed, uh, the left-hander of the two. Yeah, I mean, you say strong side, but he's not very strong. I mean, no, he's, I'm he's, just saying strong side as far as plate appearances because he'll right, be facing exactly. most of the uh, righties. <laughs> I think he has a career uh, .07 ISO in the minors. So we're talking about a guy uh, who probably won't hit a home run and might steal over the next couple of months, might steal 10 bases um, at best. I mean, he's already been caught twice with no successful last uh, on this year in triple a. So I wonder how underwhelming he'll be. If he can, if he can walk closer to his minor league rates around 10% that, and make as much contact as he did in the minor leagues, then maybe he can, he can be enough of an asset that they won't think about changing things. But, um, you know, there is a guy in the minor leagues that is very divisive um, that it's he's probably not an outfielder, but you never know. You know, maybe maybe we'll start to hear now that they'll, they'll try him in the outfield. It's C.J. Crone. Right. 
Um, and yes, CJ Crone doesn't walk. He's not a great defender at first base, so he's probably not going to be great in the outfield, but, uh, he's probably going to be better than Raleigh Banias in the outfield. And if, if Shuck just really underwhelms or, or the Hamilton news coming out of surgeries, it's, you know, it's a definite two months, you know, maybe they stick Crone in the outfield in AAA and you start hearing reports about that. Uh, there's some trumbo to this guy's game. So I would, I wouldn't, uh, poo poo him as quickly as some, baseball analysts do because of his real life game flaws. I mean, he, he's could be a, a typical kind of uh, fantasy first player. Um, and, uh, and I would definitely pick him up in my deeper leagues. If he was, if, uh, if I heard he was coming up. Yeah. If, if you heard he's coming up, that'd be one thing, but it is a, it's an unfortunate situation. The angels are built mostly stars and scrubs. And this is what happens when you, when you lack your depth chart so far down in, in triple a Crone has got, 34 plate appearances, has two walks, seven strikeouts, seven extra base hits, and 11 RBI, enjoying life in the PCL. So we'll <laughs> see, we'll see where it goes. Um, somebody else who had played in the PCL but is, is off to a fantastic start in uh, in the National League is Anthony Rizzo. There were a lot of concerns last year about him. He struck out a ton, uh, you know, hit 233 so far this season. He's, off, he's hitting 375 out of the gate, three walks, five strikeouts, three extra base hits. Where are you with Rizzo's future? Is he closer to what he was in 2012 and in 2012 and everybody liked him? Or was 2013 a, a more realistic baseline given the larger sample size? Uh, well, you know, 2013 had the problematic uh, batting average on balls in play. And, of course, he's regressed uh, from that to a 423 bat we've been early going here. So that's that's not great. I mean, that's not something you can point to. But... Uh, what I like in the early going, and mostly in these small samples, is to think about strikeout rate, and, and not really strikeout rate, because that's a per-plate appearance thing. I, I'm always about per-pitch. So the first thing I look at is swing strike rate and swing percentage, because those are one of the few things that start to become meaningful uh, after the first month. And he's swinging less often, he's reaching less often, he's making more contact, and all that's missing now is the power, and power is one of those big sample things. You can't you can't almost say anything about power until 500 plate appearances. So, you know, we're going to be we're going to be sitting here and waiting. But Wrigley plays warmer, you know, later on in the year. He's you know there are going to be days when he has a three homer game. I, I I'm going to say that right now. He's going to have a three homer game this year, and um, I think that uh, by the end of the season we're going to be looking at a 275 to 280 type average with uh, 28 to 30 homers. And uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking good for liking him. The one thing that people said about his platoon uh, splits is he had bad outcomes against lefties. But if you look at the process against lefties, he always had he has an average walk rate against lefties. He has an average strikeout rate against lefties. Mm-hmm. Above average ISO. So that's not a platoon guy to me. Yeah, I, I agree with all your points on him. The other guy that I want to talk about is somebody you know, as right as you've been so far in Rizzo. It's wrong as I've been. Because I was rather dogmatic as far as what I've said about Michael Morris. I thought he looked washed up last year. And he is off to a fantastic start. Uh, when you look at four extra base hits, three walks, seven strikeouts, uh, hitting three eighty-five out of the game. I mean, I seriously thought I thought he was done last year. He looked dog-tired, bat looked slow. And so far, he's out of the gate extremely hot. Maybe he's just playing all my critiques uh, on loop in his, in his headphones. Uh, but... Yeah, I was wrong so far. Maybe I'll be right later on, but, you know, 30 plate appearances so far, this is a lot better than I expected of him. 
Well, again, uh, if you just look at those uh, the swing the swing numbers, um, one thing to like is that it's one of his best contact rates um, of his career, actually, so far. So, of course, there's a lot of season left. But, you know, uh, he's always been a reach guy, so he is going to strike out. Uh, he does, he's not a, nat- a great natural contact guy. And right now, some of his contact gains are built on um, contact rate outside of the zone. He's mm-hmm. 81% contact rate outside of the zone. Totally unsustainable given his 60% career rate. Also, almost nobody makes contact on 81% right. outside the zone. So I would actually uh, see probably see that uh, swing strike rate go up a little bit, the strikeout rate go up a little bit. He's older, so he should be the strikeout rate should be getting worse. So um, of all the things I don't believe right now, it's the batting average, obviously, is a bad Babbitt. But, you know, I, I could say that I might take the under on some of the projected batting averages, too, because all the projections have him striking out 23% of the time. And um, with his strikeout, with his swing strike rate, probably going to get worse. I think his strikeout rate will stay the same or get worse. So I think he'll hit 250, you know, maybe with 18 homers. Uh, he's going to take a seat at some point, right? I mean, this is Michael Moore. So his career high in plate appearances is 575. Right. So um, he'll take a seat at some point. Gregor Blanco will be useful uh, to the Giants. But it seems now like it was a great gamble for them. And, and I agree with you just watching him because I, I went to the home opener. Um, he definitely looks healthy is one of the biggest things. He's not, you know, grabbing anything, limping around. He, he looks healthy. And I, I guess I'm predisposed to liking him. I'm going to talk to him about this. Considering my 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 jaunt um, over the weekend, he's uh, got a Jamaican mother. I think he's got a Jamaican tattoo of the Jamaican flag on his on his calf. So uh, at some point in the in the near future, I'm going to have to talk to him about that. At least that's a way you can physically identify him before talking to him about heritage. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. can I see your cap? <laughs> <laughs> can you roll up your 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 pant legs a little bit? Okay, it's you. Good. Let's talk. Uh, uh, last piece because we talked about oh, injury wise. Abisail Garcia done for the year. Torres Labrum uh, running into the wall, uh, chasing a ball down. Torres Labrum, he's done for the year, which means your starting outfielder for your Chicago White Sox is Adam Eaton in center and flanked by Alejandro Diaza and. Uh, Diane Vicieto, which means pity your fly ball pitchers for the White Sox because that's not a good defense. I mean, Eaton can go get them, but Diaz had so many issues last year, and Vicieto's a statue out there. And that looks like what's going to be much like the Angels. They don't have any other options. Jordan Danks is the other guy. That's it. Yeah, and Danks is just really a backup. I don't even think, you know, the the, the risk with Vicieto is that he's so much better against lefties than righties that he would end up in a platoon, um, you know, on the wrong side. But I think with the fact that it's Jordan Danks, I'm not too worried about this. I think Vistieto will play full-time. Uh, but given his strikeout rate and his issues with righties in the past, I'm not booking him for, you know, anything other than like a 260, you know, 15 to 18 homer pace for a full season. Yeah. It's useful. Go ahead. It's useful, but I, I mean, do you think more of that? I mean, it's, it's definitely plug-and-play in certain leagues and, I mean, I have two I shares. I have two shares of this, of, of Vicieto. I think the only useful thing is here. There's a clear path to playing time now. If the yeah. injury didn't happen, he would have been stuck in some, trying to find his at bats because the DH spots log jam with Dunn and Conurco. Now we have a clear path to playing time. So if you did have Vicieto, you were thinking about cutting him because he wasn't getting playing time. That problem's now eliminated. He's going to get playing time out there until they find a, if they can trade for a solution. Uh, he's going to get playing time, and so I think that's that's the immediate knowledge here is that's going to help you. Uh, 
I think, you know, in terms of winners there in the outfield, though, um, and especially for our mixed league listeners, I think it's Diazza uh, because Diazza was losing playing time against lefties. It was, it was pretty much a straight platoon yes. um, with, with Vicieto. So Diazza now uh, becomes definitely, I think he's a mixed leaguer in any format mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I think that he is the kind of guy that might be on your waiver wire because despite the fact that he's, hitting three, he's hit three homers, he has a 191 average. But, you know, true talent, I think he's a 270-2020 type guy or 15-20. Yeah, I believe that's where he was last year. Yeah, and I, and I believe that. I mean, he's 30. It's not time for him to fall off a full peak yet. And uh, there wasn't anything super unsustainable about what he did last year. A little bit of a power game, but um, I think he can. I think he's, he's the kind of guy that can do that. So um, I like Deaz a, a lot more today than I did yesterday. And um, I think he should probably be 100% owned in on most platforms. Uh, agreed. Uh, 48 hours ago, we talked about the Billy Hamilton concernometer. Uh, and you had a 65 of 80 concern. I had a 50 of 80 concern. Uh, this play over the last two days, has that moved the needle for you? Or are you still where you were? Oh, I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't, uh, you can't put too much down. But the thing is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure of this, but I think it was a righty. Uh, you got these hits again. Yeah, Shelby Miller. Shelby was Miller was one of right. them. I forgot who the other one. It was Miller. Maybe it was Kelly and Miller, but he's had a double, a triple, and a single in the last two days. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm going to move the movie a little bit. I mean, if it was against the lefty, I could say, ah, you know, he's always been better uh, from the right. Uh, but uh, you know, getting a, a triple, even off a guy like Miller who's struggling a little bit, um, that's 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 good news, and. Uh, you know, I, I I think that confidence is an underrated thing. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm bordering on non-sabermetric talk here again. But, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, do I believe in hot streaks? No. But do I believe that a young player that is not established, um, you know, do I believe that a couple hits like this could do something for him? Yes, because you're talking about a, a game in which confidence really matters, mm-hmm. uh, especially for pitchers. I mean, I really believe it for pitchers. If you throw, if you're, if you're a guy who throws 95 and then you throw an EFIS pitch, but you throw it with confidence, you're going to get strikeouts on some, you're going to get whiffs on some of those because some people are gearing up for 95 and they see your body language and they're ready to go. And then out comes the EFIS. Right. Um, so I, I, I think that on some level that works for hitters too. Uh, in terms of, for Billy, like, this balance of aggression and, and selectivity is something he's working with. And if pitchers see him as not a threat at all, um, then they can, they can uh, really stretch the strike zone and, and, and do things and play with him. But if they th- see him as more of a threat and are worried about him, uh, the balance of power changes a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'll move it down. I'll say 60. I'll say 60. I mean... We talked about this in the preseason where there was a little bit of uh, a, a high floor with him just because you've said this in the past, and I agree, there's not really another option. I think he can be a good defender. I've always said that. And he can at least hit against lefties. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I doubt that he's going to get sent down uh, because they just need him. But mm-hmm. um, there's still some concern there. I mean, they, they, they want him to be at the top of the order and, and walk 8 9 10%. And, see, that's the thing. If, if they want him to walk that at that rate, they need to move him down because there's no reason there's no reason not to challenge him within the strike zone. He is not going to make you pay with power. I mean, if he if he can slash the ball and find a gap, 
yes, he's going to be on second or third base. He doesn't even need to find a gap. I mean, he had a single to Alan Craig and turned it into a double when Greg didn't play it uh, aggressively, forgetting who was running bases. But if, if we want Billy Hamilton to walk, because right now he has two walks this season in 22 plate appearances, he's not going to draw a lot of walks from that leadoff spot. If they put him down eight and let him hit in front of the pitcher, they're probably going to pitch around him a little bit and say, okay, you know, let's say there's, there's two outs. We're going to pitch around Billy Hamilton and then go to the pitcher. Uh, that's just going to be the way they're going to do it uh, down there. So I don't, I don't ever see him as a 10% walk rate guy. It's just because you know, if, if he gets a strike, he can drop a bunt and, chat and make the defense try to get him out. I just don't see him trying to work those counts in the leadoff spot. If he can drop, maybe he can fight pitches and do those kind of things and work count. I just don't see him getting that, you know, getting those four ball counts. I think, you know, we're, 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 you know, supposedly the anti-bunt crowd, but I actually wonder if he couldn't push the success rate on his bunts high enough where that should become a weapon for him. Um, I mean, he is legit that fast. I mean, he scored from third. He tagged from third on a, on a fly ball to second base. It was infield. It would have been infield fly roll if there was somebody else on base. That's how, that's how shallow that thing was. We're not talking about the Chipper Jones infield fly roll. I mean, we're talking a legit infield fly ball. But of course, the, the 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 flip side of that is that the third baseman is probably already you know coming in. So maybe he needs to do the little swinging punch thing. Yeah, the but the butcher <laughs> ball. But I mean, if he if he, if he dra- drag bunts down the first base line, especially if there if there's a lefty, you know, if he can push the ball towards the first base side lefty, and make the first base and try to make that play and find yeah. that dead zone. Especially if you've got a, a pitcher with a delivery who falls off the mound, or if he's facing a righty and somebody falls, just push it the third base. I'll take Billy Hamilton and make and put the pressure on the third baseman to make the perfect play. I don't even care if he's in. As soon as that thing, as soon as he turns around, that third baseman is going to be coming in. You have, you know, you have three, three point one seconds. If you're going to beat him, you have three seconds to get to that ball, pick it up, and make the perfect throw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we close, one thing I wanted to do was throw a couple of uh, a pitcher and a hitter line at you to see if you see if you know who it is because sometimes it's always been something I, I've tried to uh, to preach is look at the numbers, not the name. And a lot of times you get tied up in the name. Oh, this guy's good, and I give you his numbers. Oh, really? That's who that is. So on the pitcher side, this this pitcher I'm looking at in his last 50 decisions as a starting pitcher. He is 20 and 30 with a 489 ERA and a 140 whip. Who am I talking about? Tim Lincecum. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. So that's that's where he is. So we've talked the about whip, strikeouts is all he has left. Yeah, the whip got it. Yeah, and um, you know, people want to say that the, the the home run per fly ball rate might might uh, might regress. I don't know, man. He is really bad fastball command. And it's ninety mile an hour fastball that he can't really put where he wants to put it. So um that's not uh that's not a recipe for a league average home run for fly ball rate. So. Exactly. But those that's where those numbers are at. Uh hitter wise, since the two thousand thirteen All Star break, this hitter is batting three fifty seven with a four oh five on base percentage, a five oh seven slug, and has been the toughest batter to strike out in all of baseball. Damn. This one surprised me, too, when I looked it up. Aoki? Victor Martinez. Oh, he makes all that contact. I was thinking about contact. Yeah, but I mean, I could not uh, believe he's making more contact than, like, Dustin Pedroia. Or even Aoki. Aoki's off to a fantastic start this year. Uh, but Victor Martinez has those kind of offensive numbers and 
is the toughest guy to strike out right now. The good news is if you're in a single-game qualifying league, you now have a catcher because he caught yesterday. The bad news is yeah. reports he looked like crap doing it. Right. So <laughs> who knows if he's you – know, if you're in the ESPN league, you need 10 games in season. I don't know if Victor Martinez is going to make 10 games, but he's got one in my home league. All you need is three. Uh, the expert leagues are five. So let's hope he gets there. But words were – he looked like crap last night back there. But – he got back there. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, at this point, the die is cast, and it's kind of hard to go and get a guy after he's caught once. I mean, you're like, you know, try to make the guy look the other way. Oh, Victor Martinez, what a terrible utility bat. You know, why don't you just give him to me for nothing? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little tough to uh, to crap on Victor Martinez's numbers because it's a uh, he's off <laughs> he's off to a pretty phenomenal start. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's got. He only has two home runs. He's hitting 321. He's utility, and he's on his way to catcher. And he hit 301 last year. I mean, he hasn't hit below 300 since the 2009 season. Yeah, it's pretty well, sick. Let's, let's give our deep leaguers a, a catcher real quick. I'm I'm excited about Derek Norris. Yes, uh, I had him in my uh, AL labor, and he hit a home run uh, last night. It was a big home run. They're leaving him in against righties. Uh, they're playing him, starting him against righties sometimes. And um, my hope for him of having, you know, around 400 plate appearances now feels like uh, it could really happen. So uh, I think Derek Norris is, is now getting to the point where he's a two-catcher guy uh, in deeper leagues. And, um, and he might be close to – I mean, he's not a starting catcher in right. one catcher league yet. But he's, he's someone to keep an eye he's on. He's my second catcher in the 13-team mixed league. I drafted him. We drafted on Sunday. And we can do reverse stats. So I was able to cash in some of those early numbers. And uh, there he is. So, and that's your. I mentioned Michael Choice earlier as the guy that that impressed me on the eye test. Yeah. So as you can yeah. tell with the dog activity, my family's home. So with that, we will be ending the podcast. And uh, any final thoughts for everybody? No, no. But it's uh, the season's starting to get fun. So uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Let's hope there's no more injuries between now and the next time we talk. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your feedback uh, in the comments section and uh, voting us on iTunes, and we will talk to you all next time.